This podcast features three supposed adults who definitely use adult language. They're also supposedly writers who are definitely not procrastinating by making this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to No Bad Ideas, the storytelling game show where we take the worst ideas from the internet and try to turn them into stories that are actually good. My name is Gabriel Urbina, and I am your first Bad Ideas host. My name is Sarah Shackett. I'm your second Bad Ideas host. And my name is Zach Valenti, your third Bad Ideas host. And today we are joined by not just one, but two special guests here in the Bad Ideas swamp. What? Uh, we have invited two luminaries in the field of fiction podcasting into our little swamp side cottage and we are so thrilled that despite all the signs saying that this was a terrible terrible idea they took us up on it thank you so much for being here jack marone and bob raymunda co-creators of forgive me thank you so much for having us uh i'm excited to be back this will be my second time on the show and i'm pumped for my maiden voyage excellent excellent before we set sail, why don't you tell the folks who might be listening about your show? What is the 500 words or less version of Forgive Me? Okay, um, Forgive Me is a comedy podcast. We call it a sitcom about a priest who in a small town who gives confession to a different person every episode. And then it becomes about a little bit more than that over time. Mm-hmm. But it is light. It's whimsical. It's made by a bunch of people who aren't Catholic, but used to be Catholic. And I think that that's lot of feelings about deeply embedded in <laughs> yep, the yep. themes of the show uh so that is um that's forgive me i don't know bob did i miss anything there's a german priest a lot about donuts and pigs yeah lots about donuts and pigs yeah no it's great the other main tenant that we have for ourselves that we had going into the show was that uh while we all have lots of feelings about being lapsed catholics we also wanted to make a show that was friendly for all of our friends and family that are still catholics so while we do uh, make it a point to take the church to task we try to be really empathetic and loving towards the people that do have faith. And I think we strike a good balance. I would have to concur. You strike a very good balance. And it was a pleasure to be a part of the upcoming season that you guys are currently fundraising for. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure to have you. Thank you for joining our cast. That was incredibly exciting. We are trying to produce our upcoming third season. We have 13 brand new episodes, and we really tried to expand the scope of the show. Instead of just taking place in the confessional, we go to such wild places as a church donut festival and the church parking lot and a small town bakery that's probably right around the corner. But in all seriousness, our cast has tripled in size. To now include like every cool person in, every in cool the person. audio fiction. Really, yeah. really lucky. <laughs> yeah. Very lucky yeah. this year. I definitely this year was like, I'm just going to ask everyone that I like really, really <laughs> admire if they'd be interested in playing in our sandbox. And I, uh, I got a lot of yeses. So it was really, really exciting. Speaking of that, we were able to pay all of our cast and crew through our 
Patreon and our ad funding that we get from being a part of the Fable and Folly Network. But what we are specifically trying to crowdfund for is to pay our core team for production and composition and try to grow that team as well. Try to bring on a couple of other folks with that. We've got a bunch of a great benchmarks coming up as we move towards this back half of the campaign. We've got crossovers with some great shows. Uh, we're going to record a live show pretty soon. We're not talking too much about yet, but that is going to be very exciting and uh yeah christmas specials and other things galore hell yeah inevitably that core team the first people to clock out the last people to get paid so we mm. applaud you for taking these <laughs> steps to get them compensated and get them taken care of that's awesome what artists compensating themselves in this economy what crazy absolutely wild never heard of it before we drag you into our pit of bad ideas, what's the date that this campaign comes to a close? We are closing on April 1st, I believe. So yep. we've still got a few more weeks as of the recording of this episode. Awesome. Brilliant. Awesome. If you're listening to this before April 1st, don't be a fool. Check it out. <laughs> Check out the campaign. Give if you can. Help some awesome folks make a great show. And now... Let us completely turn away from quality and focus <laughs> on the dregs. This is no bad idea. So if you are tuning in for the first time on this show, us three hosts, we scour the internet for stories of really, really terrible ideas. We present them to each other and then we give ourselves just 10 very short minutes to ask ourselves, well, if we were to turn this into a good movie or a good book or a good narrative of some sort, how would we do it? And try to do that in just 10 very short minutes. Are you guys ready to jump into the first bad idea? Absolutely. Born ready. <laughs> Never and always. Uh, yes. So I was very, very excited when I found this bad idea, which, by the way, folks, if you are at home and want to read along, there will be a link to it in the episode description. I was very excited for it for this episode in particular because it is about someone seeking forgiveness for a transgression. Ooh. So I thought that it would be on theme. <laughs> Topical. I love it. For purposes of suspense and to make the narrative, I think, a little bit more fun. We're going to leave out the headline for a second. I'll say that it's an article from our friends at the Huffington Post. And I'm going to do just like a tiny little bit of redacting up front. But I think that it'll become pretty clear what's going on in due time. Are you guys ready to jump on in? Let's do it. All right. From the um, Berlin division of the Associated Press, we get the story that a German ballet director issued a public apology on Tuesday for an incident that had occurred. Martin Gecke was suspended. I'm going to do my best with all these German names. I apologize, <laughs> people of Germany. I tried my best to look up a pronunciation guide for everything. Marco Gecke was suspended from his post as ballet chief at the Hanover State Opera following the incident over the weekend. The theater's management called on him Monday to apologize comprehensively and to explain himself. According to the daily Frankfurter Allemein Zettung, Goecke approached its dance critic, Wiebke Huster, during the interval of a premiere at the Opera House on Saturday and asked what she was doing there. The newspaper said that Goecke who apparently felt provoked by a recent review she wrote of a production he staged in the Netherlands, threatened to ban her from the ballet and accused her of being responsible for people canceling season tickets in Hanover. He then pulled out a paper bag with dog feces inside 
and smeared her face with the contents. Cool. Great. Cool. Awesome. Just a completely healthy workplace. Normal stuff. Incredibly normal. Quote, I would like to apologize sincerely to all concerned. First and foremost. (laughs) To the dog? What? (laughs) Who's the all? (laughs) First and foremost to Miss Huster. For my absolutely unacceptable act, Gukka said in a written statement, quote, in retrospect, I am clearly aware that this was a disgraceful act in the heat of the moment and an overreaction, he added. However, (laughs) gotta love an apology with a however, he added that it's time for media to rethink a certain form of destructive and hurtful reporting that damages the whole cultural sector. And he also criticized Huster for what he said were often nasty reviews. Gekka pointed out to the pointed to the nervous strain resulting from two premieres in quick succession as a reason for his actions. Mm-hmm. Quote, I apologize for the fact that I finally blew my top. But I also ask for a certain understanding, at least for the reasons why this happened, he wrote. Hooster filed a criminal complaint after the incident. Yeah, no shit. Gurkha faces an investigation on suspicion of bodily harm and slander. Gurkha has said his elderly dachshund had defecated earlier and he had packed the mess into a bag and had been planning to dispose of it. While he says he then acted in the heat of the moment, the critic has contended that it was a premeditated attack. Huster said she was shocked by Gukka's statement on Tuesday. Quote, what kind of apology is this supposed to be? She asked on 3Sat television. Extremely reasonably. Yeah, yeah. very, very <laughs> fair. <laughs> also perplexed here. Describing it as an attempted justification of his actions, German news agency DPA reported. That is the um, end of the article. The headline reads, German ballet director formally apologizes for smearing feces in critics' face. <sighs> so we have a Lydia Tarr situation. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> that's the first place my head's going. I mean, <laughs> like I really hope Todd Field is in a good place and can take a break after the Oscars. <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm, I'm starting a 10 minute timer right now. <laughs> this is either like the climax of a thing and we're sort of ramping up to this moment of breakage, right? Where this guy goes through like five ballet things in a row. I don't know how ballet works. Um, <laughs> and th- they each get panned and he has, you know, less and less of an outlet and, and this critic as a nemesis. Or it's a weird publicity stunt where they're both complicit and uh-huh. it's about getting yeah. attention on the deeply underfunded arts sector in Germany or wherever we said it. But those are the two things that occur to, to my mind just off the top of the bat. I'm really focused on this premeditation element of it. I feel like there's a 12 angry men thing here. Yeah, it's a fascinating question because it's like I did it in the heat of the moment. I just happened to bring this bag with yeah, me just from like, home. Who does not immediately dispose of dog shit? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I would say you put that in your briefcase. That's not something that you hang on to. You, yeah, there was this little voice in the back of my head that told me. 
Hang you on, might, to, you might need it today for for the some trash can reason. is just all the way over there. And <laughs> it always says you never know. I've been a You're lifelong dog, dog owner, shit. and when you care about your puppy, <laughs> you carry the shit all day in case you need to give mm-hmm. it to the doctor. Oh, they get wow. sick later on. Uh, yeah. There's really no justification. There's there's no justification. This was seems clearly premeditated. Yes, very obviously. It is also, as we've all, and including the article pointed out, a very weak apology. Like an apology <laughs> yeah. that seems to very quickly arrive at a point of, but have we considered how I, the feces smearer, am is really the victim, the victim I here? I also had shit on my hands, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> are, are, am not I a victim? <laughs> Also, I had to shit on my heart from all of these That's terrible critical exactly. reviews that you've been giving not me. Metaphorical feces, no equivalent Worse than actual feces. Some would say, mm. no, um, would say. My, many have said. <laughs> I I gotta be honest. Like if we're if we're seeing this as a film with, I know we could see it as the climax, but I kind of like the idea, especially if we're going with your thought, Sarah, of it being them both being complicit. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of it starting in media res with the dog shit, like cold open before you even see the title card mm-hmm. of the film. It's just mm-hmm. like we get a little bit of ballet and then instantly dog shit in the face to crowd member. Like, right. like the slap. Uh, yes. There you go. The crap. <laughs> Title. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, but I see it of just kind of like it happens whether it's heat of the moment or passion. We can figure that out later. And for a moment, it's just everyone is very, very angry. But then it's like, whoa, wait a minute. We just sold a whole bunch of ballet tickets. And also the newspaper readership is through the roof. You know, people were buying that newspaper like it was nobody's business. So maybe there's something to this public feud. Maybe there needs to be dog feces at every performance. I mean, if it's going to get butts and seats. But it has to I think it has to escalate from dog feces like at a certain point. I mean, are you talking like other types of feces or um, other types of violence? Other types of petty violence. Because I was going to say that reminds me too much of there was this website called like mail your enemies poop or something. Oh, I remember that website. You could do donkey Elephant or camel, uh, yeah, they had a whole bunch camel. Of, they had wow. a lot. Yeah. God bless the internet. This happened to a coworker of mine. Oh, wow. I, was, I was sitting next to her, and she received uh, cow manure, cow dung. Oh yeah, my felt god! Very, felt very bad for her. Not her favorite day of the year. No, oh. I would imagine not. Holy crap! But yeah, like there can be some feces. There can be like a glitter bomb that happens at an inopportune moment. Like there's lots of different things, pranks we could we could pull in there could be a, a carry situation we could get some some yeah, blood in the blood. Oh, sprinklers sure. i mm-hmm, mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's the blood on the hands of the critics who are single-handedly destroying the entire ballet industry that's right right i quite like this and then you know it is sort of then a movie about this escalating prank war that is both infuriating and the rivalry is real but also it's helping out both people that are in it to a degree that almost everything else that they've tried to save their failing niche industries 
have yeah. not really been able to pull it off so far. I'm, I'm imagining like a lot of really like mirthful smiles at her, the keyboard of the journalist. Yeah. Just yeah. getting more and more scathing each time. Mm-hmm. Also, a lot of time on like morning talk shows, you know, yeah. getting getting that face on the television in a way that, you know, wouldn't the lines happen of the otherwise. newspaper aren't just going to happen. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This is a platform now. Yeah. The thing that I hate the most about this is that this is Ruben Oslund's next movie after a triangle of sadness. A little like bit. Is, oh my this god! One hundred percent, what he is yes. doing. Yes, that movie was so good. I won't get into it, but that movie was so <laughs> brutal and good. Yeah, um, I can see him as the director here. No, though. and he yeah, would make like, a meal of like the ballet trappings of it too. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you know these incredibly silly, petty things happening under like proscenium arches and stuff like that. I also wonder, are there any copycats? Like, are there any other critics or ballet directors that try to get in on the game? If this is really rising everybody's profile, like there's got to be other failing. Oh, and it gets really dangerous when these copycats get involved. The pranks. And then they have to like team up to Mm. destroy the copycats, perhaps. There you go. Wow. There's your there's your third act. And no, and I think that that's exactly it. That the copycats, the rails come off. Like the stuff that they're yeah. doing mm-hmm. isn't just petty, but it's dangerous. It's like almost a jigsaw situation. Mm. You know, like are yeah. we going full horror at the end? I wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. It just ends with uh, or doesn't end, but climaxes in like a Halloween scene where there really are razor blades in the candy yes Mm, yeah right and maybe the copycat like starts pranking them both and there's this moment where it's like wait did you not do that that one wasn't me that what that one wasn't you then who was it and then they realize that the thing has escalated beyond their control but too late but too late yeah yeah yeah. burn a theater down at the end of it perfect stuff oh man what if it's like the nutcracker and the rats get involved But the theater has been packed with old newspapers that are so flammable. (laughs) So, so flammable. (laughs) Uh, What are the odds? Final shot, I'd say, is the ballet director in the bar, the local haunt that all the performers go to, reading a newspaper, reading the review of the most recent show after the theater has been rebuilt. And it is a rave review. He folds the paper. He sees the rival. She smiles and he buys her a drink. Meet cute. Let's go. Yes. It's yes. a romantic a comedy sequel. the whole time. <laughs> Enemies yes. to lovers. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> Terrific. I, we have just a little under a minute left on the clock. Um, who is starring in this? And um, I guess we already have the title with the crap. Just because it inspired me from the Oscars last night. Hugh Grant and Andy McDowell. Oh, that would be so good. Together at last again. (laughs) I I love that. I love that. I mean, also in another Oscars take, let's go with Brendan Gleeson. And Jamie Lee Curtis. Ooh, Mm. I like that too a lot. I like that as well. I like that as well. Yes, I like this. I enjoy this great play. Brennan Gleeson can be the copycat um, if he's not the main guy. I'm fine with that. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Let him be the real nefarious one. Exactly. (laughs) That is time, folks. Oh, amazing. I retroactively apologize to everyone for making you reckon with that story, but you guys did a terrific job. No, of reckoning with it again i mean you you know you you hit the nail on the head with triangle of sadness meets tar like i think that's what we made and i'm <laughs> i feel great about that <laughs> 
Well, I have another idea. I don't know that it's going to lead to Triangle of Sadness plus Tar, but I would be curious to see the effort. All right, let's 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 try it out. And I am going to tell you the title because I'm impatient. But this comes from CNN, and if you would like to uh, read along, dear listeners, or or look at the wonderful photos, it'll be in the episode description. So the headline reads: Mafia boss found working as a pizza boss. After 16 years on the run. Uh, quick question. What's a pizza boss? Something that's snappy in a headline. But I will explain exactly <laughs> what he was doing with pizza in this article, which follows. Italian anti-mafia police have arrested another mobster on the run just two weeks after the sensational arrest on January 16th of Sicilian Casa Nostra superboss Matteo Messina Denaro at a health clinic in Palermo, Sicily. This time it was Edgardo Greco, 63, who was apprehended in Saint-Étienne, France, where he was working under the alias Paolo Demetrio as, who oh boy, my apologies to all Italians, as a pizza ailolo or a pizza chef <laughs> at the Cafe Rossini Italian restaurant. Greco associated with the Calibrian and Gadrada, which is a mafia syndicate, was convicted in abstentia in 1991 for a double homicide of the brothers Stefano and Giuseppe Bartolomeo, who he is alleged to have killed with iron bars before dissolving their bodies in acid, according oh to court documents. Very bad idea. He had evaded Italian law enforcement officials since his conviction, described as a dangerous fugitive. Greco was convicted of the attempted murder of several prison officials as well, earning him the nickname Prison Killer, which is logical, I guess. The Italian anti-mafia police started closing in on Greco after he was featured in an article in the French newspaper <laughs> Le Progress, yeah, which the that. restaurant posted on its official Facebook page. The prosecutor's office confirmed to CNN. I mean, there we go. Like that's raising your profile, if you know what I mean. <laughs> police in Calibria also said that he regularly posted on social media under his false name. The restaurant phone number was disconnected when CNN attempted to call on Friday. Journalist and author Roberto Saviano, who has been living under police protection since his book Gamora was published in 2006, told CNN that it is common for mafia bosses to crave attention. Quote, it's typical. Look at El Chapo, who, when he was working, wanted to meet Sean Penn, who he wanted to make a movie about him. And Al Capone wanted to go on the movie set of Scarface, Saviano told CNN in an interview last week. Italy's anti-mafia squad says they are working around the clock to find other mafia bosses that are still in hiding. And there's other stuff about Cosa Nostra and the Indergara that this guy was a part of. But that is the crux of the idea. Italian mafia boss in hiding for 16 years in France blows his cover by getting an article in the paper about the pizza he made. So I'm going to put 10 minutes on a timer and I'm excited to see what y'all will do with this. So my pitch is it's Goodfellas meets Ratatouille, you know, like huh? for as long as I can remember, mm. I always wanted not to be a gangster. But, you know, but like <laughs> it's someone that he comes from this like family of gangsters. Dad's a gangster. Grandpa's a gangster. Mom's a gangster. Big brothers are gangsters. The expectation is you're going to, you know, grow up and smuggle guns into France. And he just wants to be a pizza chef somewhere. <laughs> but his family just has all these pressures on him and just won't let him be. I love I love this person, this poor, like, prison killer um, <laughs> who just wants to make a Napoli-style pie. I get it. I have a similar impulse. But can I raise you all the, what is that timeless property, the butcher of what? 
they do like the mincemeat pies that are made of people. Sweeney Todd? Sweeney Todd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I raise you a Sweeney Todd? So, oh boy. So the people he killed are the pepperoni? Well, that, I mean, you got to get rid of the bodies somehow. That's how he finally makes them come around. He's like, That's you know, right. like, like he keeps being like, can I please have money to start a pizza restaurant? Can I please have money to start a pizza restaurant? And then finally, the innovation is that's how we get rid of the bodies. You know, like, don't think of it as a store. Think of it as a body disposal mechanism. I see, Zach. Brilliant. <laughs> You're welcome. Very dark red sauce. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. What I also love about this is that it's it's after 16 years in hiding that this man has failed. And so that speaks to me a lot about just elders on the Internet in general yeah. parents. And so while I love that, like, you know, Goodfellas Ratatouille style, we're seeing him young. All he wants is to be in a pizza restaurant. But now he's grown. Maybe he's got a teenager of his own who's also working at the pizzeria. And 16 years is a long time. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's no longer as fun as it used to be. And so now he's trying to find that spotlight again, that rush, that thrill that he had when he was a mafioso and mm -hmm. didn't genuinely appreciate the life that he had. And he's, <laughs> he's blowing up his own spot by just really hampering up about the old days on the Facebooks. But he's burnt the bridges. The family doesn't want anything to do with him anymore. They said, if you go out that door and go make pizzas, don't mm -hmm. ever come back. We're. We're done with you. And I mean, I think we can split the difference and have him sort of realize his pizza dream slightly later in life. Like he's John Wick level good at killing, but his heart just isn't in it. Mm -hmm. And so he's able to pizza dreams. <laughs> he's finally able to realize his pizza dreams. Yeah. But Don't let your pizza dreams stay dreams. Stay dreams. <laughs> However, you know, and I think it's a very relatable experience of sometimes when you have like this professional goal and you finally reach it, you realize that you've caught the car a little bit. Yeah. And that it doesn't fix everything inside of you that you think it will. I'm just throwing oh, that I out there. <laughs> no, I love that because what it does is it allows us to still have like human gabagool, which is, I think, yep. where Zach was getting to, which is this idea that he does realize his pizza dream. It's a little hollow. Yeah. And then he starts killing people and, and making them into cupping pepperoni. You, you, you know what would spice it up? You know what add some oregano to it? <laughs> His son yeah. gets into a kerfuffle with a warring family and they have to get mm. rid of the body. They gotta make a body disappear. Yes, that's right. That's, that's, right. Right. that's right. And it just happens to also have the effect of being the most delicious standout pizza in the neighborhood. <laughs> what if there's like this, I, I don't know, I kind of imagine it's this very isolated town and somebody comes into town and finds out that this pizza, it's like a travel writer mm -hmm. comes into yeah. town and realizes that like no one talks about this pizza place, but everybody almost ghost like zombie like goes to the pizza place. Yeah, because they're all eating the people pizza. Yeah, I want to know and figure out more about the anti mafia unit that catches him. That that caught my eye as well. That was a hell of a phrase mm. in that article. Do we have like a rival here? Do we have someone who has, you know, bone to pick with our mafiosa pizza boss? We we might need a Javert. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Oh, you know, I feel like it's someone who maybe their twin brother was killed in the prison killings and they decided to commit their entire life to to putting mobsters away and tracking down this one specific man, build up a, a good career for themselves, but never get that white whale of 
who they're actually looking for. Yeah. And their son goes to school with the mafioso's son and their friends. Or they fall I, in I'm, love. They fall in love. Something. Or it can, I can. I I was being flipped, but we can we can keep our um, Javert a little bit separate um, and driven the whole way through, which is always nice to cut back to after like pizza shenanigans. Mm. So I see I see the argument for both things. There's also something about them sitting across the table from each other with a pizza in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> and the pizza getting cut. And like the moment of realization of what the pizza is. Tremendous visuals. Yeah, because also, I mean, this article, that's the thing that got him caught. That's the thing that gets this Javier character to track him down to his pizzeria is clearly the human pizzas that people are raving about and that he's now getting a profile about himself for because he has like unlocked his true delicious secret ingredient. I love it. About three minutes left or so. Who is in this Italian epic and how does it end? Every character is played by Chris Pratt, who, as we know, it has to be. Has to be. Definitely do Italian accents. <laughs> I mean, you're it's not wrong. Johansson, and we're good. Oh, no, boy. Oh, yeah. There you are. <laughs> you're not wrong, but I do. I want to keep it topical with White Lotus and also Sopranos <laughs> vibes and say Michael Imperioli. Oh, oh hell yeah. Hell yeah. Like, I love has it. To be. And you know what? Let's cast the shitty kid who played Albie on White Lotus to play his hey. kid. <laughs> like, synergy i love it synergy going i forget that actor's name but he does a great job of playing a shitty kid he really does he did wonderful yeah. work as a shitty kid we need a disgruntled bitter italian intelligence agent yeah trying to think about who would be a good person for that role my contemporary italian actor game is not what it should be <laughs> nope nope Big same. Yeah, we may need to come back to that. I mean, you could just have Mark Strong doing an Italian accent. Like, yeah. I, that's, that's the coward's way, but. No. <laughs> just saying everything in the absolute same accent that he always uses, but very emphatically making the gesture with his yeah. hands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. The accent's all in the hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, this is something if we want to make him more put upon that Paul Giamatti could do. Oh, Ooh. that'd be that'd be nice. It would be some juicy Paul Giamatti. It really would. Yeah, that'd be some good sauce in that Giamatti pizza. <laughs> we need the we need a travel writer. That's the last piece of this puzzle. Ah, uh, right? sure. Yeah, um, Chris Pratt. There you I go. Mean, we, we had to get him in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, dude, he deserves it. No, he deserves it. He's worked absolute... so hard. Only, only if he is a travel, if he's a traveling plumber too. I was then going to say he has to wear the Mario outfit. As and this yeah. is a live action movie, but he has to wear the Mario outfit, and it's just not commented upon at, at all. all. Not once at all. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Forty-four seconds. What is this called? People pizza pie. <laughs> The people's pizza. The oh, people's pizza. I love that. That's way better. That's very good. Pizza my past. Ooh, that has layers to it. Yeah. <laughs> Bam. Beautiful. Wow. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, no, and just like think, like you, you can shoot it on the Riviera. It'll look amazing. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can do like a misdirect that it seems like it's like a wistful romantic pizza right. movie and then it turns dark in the trailer. I can see this is an eight hour miniseries. Like this thing's got <laughs> legs. It's got. No, and the it, 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 cat and mouse game, man. And, yeah. it, and it's one of those things mm-hmm. that infamously people are like, do you not know what this is about? Oh my God. Like, don't look it up. Don't like see anything. <laughs> just start watching it and just like see Going where it goes. Blind. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, that's time. 
Incredible work, gentlemen. I'm very, very excited for this Mike White miniseries that we have created. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Monte bene. <laughs> well, let's take a uh, quick break here for some commercial messages. But once we're done with those, we'll be back with Jack and Bob to talk about their work and get back on track to the good ideas part of the show. So we'll be right back. Hey there, Zach Valenti here with a quick reminder that if you love No Bad Ideas or any of the podcasts Gabrielle, Sarah, and I create, you can support us with a monthly membership at nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. For as little as $1 a month, you can get access to the No Bad Ideas back catalog and hear every bad idea we've ever done. And as an Idealist member, you could even snag a special shout out in the credits. You can learn more and sign up today at nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. Once more, that's nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. All right. And with that, let's get back to the show. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to No Bad Ideas here, and we are still with the team behind Forgive Me as they try to fundraise for their upcoming and should be amazing third season. So there might be a little bit of retread ground from the last time that we spoke to you on the show, Bob, but that's been a second. The show has evolved. There's been a lot of things going on. So let's maybe just start with what was the genesis of the show? Since we have you two co-creators here, how did you co-create this show? Like, where did the idea come from? Yeah, you know, sitting on the subway, I think, really. I, so I, I went to Catholic school like my entire childhood. I was very mm -hmm. much an every Sunday Catholic with my family. And I had just I'd been working for about a year at this tech company and I'd gotten Bob a job there uh, that he worked at for about a month. <laughs> and three, three. I made fair. it to three. You made it to three. <laughs> um, but we were working at this tech company together and it was a really nice time for me because I think I'd just been on nine to five grind at that point for a little bit in my early 20s. And. I remember just talking to Bob all the time about creative ideas and stuff because he was really writing a lot even then. And I just remember having this idea that was just priest at like high maintenance, but every episode's a different person going to confession was like just what the idea was. And I came in, I told Bob that idea. I was really excited about it. And I was like, I just I have a lot of stories that I would tell and I can think about and weird people who go to church who would be interesting to hear from. And I thought about it and I thought about it with the mind of someone who didn't write at all at the time and was like, this is an idea that will never exist. <laughs> like, it just won't. It'll never happen. It's just something I thought about. It was a nice conversation with Bob. 
And then Bob didn't leave me alone about it for three like years, four years. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. brought it up often and, you know, there were points in time. Um, I used to, at the time we were working together, I was running this literary magazine called breadcrumbs where breadcrumbs. every, every piece we published was inspired by a preceding piece and linked back to it. Uh, that's where we first sort of, my brother and I started dipping our toes into doing audio fiction and, that's when we really decided like all right we need to make our own show like mm -hmm. you know we were loving night Vale, we were loving wolf 359 we were loving ars paradoxica we were, we were loving you know we're alive and and archive 81 we were like we can do this like what's our idea and the first idea we had was like jack's idea but at the time jack didn't have the the capacity to do it and if we had went forward it would have been just a very derivative like twin peaks rip off mm -hmm. small town murder mystery show like that is what we mm -hmm. would have turned it into and i just didn't feel right doing it without jack like he had such a clear vision for it so we went we did windfall instead and after we recorded it i was like you know this is something like we, we this is going to be good. It was before it was even out. And yeah. I just, I called Jack up and I was like, all right, we're going to make the show and you're going to write it. Like you're going to write <laughs> yeah. it. I'll help you write it. Like I'll help you brainstorm. We're doing this. I'll edit it. Yeah. But like we're doing this because we need, like we want a show to release in between our big show. That's smaller and easier. LOL. There are 20 characters in our season three premiere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because that's how it always goes. But that, that's how that happens. Yeah. But mm -hmm. uh, it, it just never felt right doing without Jack. And, and I was so glad that he was up for the challenge. And, you know, I know he says that he wasn't a writer or, or didn't write. But Jack's scripts were hilarious from draft one. I, I mean, I, I was really lucky to have a creative partner who was willing to like Bob has the right mentality about art making in general, which is that if you do it, you're doing it. And I think that I needed somebody in my life to encourage me to think that way. And I, I was really, really, really afraid to make stuff. And it took one of the most prolific makers I know <laughs> to really bring me out of my shell in that way. I like so vividly remember that conversation me pacing too. around my apartment in Flatbush. And you being like, I'm going to we're going to make the show. I want you to write it. We're going to make it no matter what. But I really think you should write it. And me being like, yeah, OK. okay. <laughs> and then getting off the phone and saying to my wife, Bob wants me to make the show. Like, obviously, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and then she was like, why wouldn't you do it? It's <laughs> like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess. And then it just like I feel like every moment from then has just been like continuing to do a thing I didn't think I was supposed to or was allowed to do. Um, totally. so it's been really, really fun. That's amazing. If there's something that our time in podcasting has taught us is that a lot of great art comes from someone being like, here's an idea, totally. I guess. <laughs> and then another person being like, we are doing this. Get in the car. Let's mm -hmm. go. 100 <laughs> percent. Uh, Lord knows that that was me and Zach's story when we first started podcasting in 2014. But that's awesome. That's 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 terrific. It was my best mugging to date. <laughs> <laughs> so we're now headed into the third season of the show. What are the biggest lessons that you've learned along the way? How has the show surprised you? What are the unexpected little things or like the ways that the show has evolved that have been outside of your original vision or your original understanding of the show? The, the premise of Forgive Me was really meant to stay in a box. And I think we learned pretty quickly that we weren't going to 
do that. Mm -hmm. Like we wanted to tell a story that was about like we wanted to expand it from the first season was really about the church. The second season was really about Ben. And we really want the show to be about this town. Mm -hmm. That's really like this community more holistically. And I think we realized pretty quickly as we made the show that like to do that, we needed to be able to put ourselves in situations to center other people more and have conversations around, especially around religion. I think that aren't just about doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is pretty funny. And, you know, I think in our second season, we did a, we started to do more of that. I mean, even in our first season, we had a couple episodes that weren't strictly confessions. Right. But I don't know. I, I think especially of the episodes you wrote, Bob, in our second season, like the episode with Darla in particular, that really comes to mind as one where we had it was I mean, you could talk about it if you want and sort of that. Darla is, you know, I so much of what I did in coming in and and really, you know, starting from the ground up with with scripting season two with you was take little characters that you had just mentioned in previous confessions and uh, gave them their own full interior life. And there was this woman who was being cheated on and I really wanted to give her a story that felt triumphant. So instead of her confessing anything, she's coming in with a bone to pick, specifically in so much as she's not allowed to take communion anymore because she has chosen to divorce the man who was cheating on her. But he can take communion because he has gotten married again. And how is that fair? Because how is she the one that's done something wrong in the eyes of the Lord? And so... What what I loved about that idea was sort of flipping, you know, the concept of the show on its head was, you know, I was wronged. I need to be proven that this institution still values me because yeah. I've made it such a huge part of my life and routine for so long. And, you know, I mean, in, in general, we just really we, we tried to break the format as much as we could in season two. You know, I think specifically I'll always my favorite episode will, will always probably be Code Blue, which is one that uh, Jack wrote, which is about a, a youth group. And all the kids are confessing basically to the same thing. But it is it is a montage style confession where we've just got a bunch of people all coming in and sort of having the same message. And yet even still in this very silly, you know, one kid poops on a desk, even still at the heart of that is this like very uh, emotional and beautiful and like kind conversation that Father Ben is having with one of these kids that's truly convinced that he's going to hell. In season three, I don't want to get too spoilery about where we're going. I know we've got our boilerplate in the Indiegogo about some of the, the, the locations we go to. One thing I'll talk about, talked about it on Twitter a bunch already, is that one episode that we do have coming up is told from the perspective of a feral stray cat that is being fed by different members of the community. That episode is was really, really cathartic for me because... Back in 2021, while we were crowdfunding for Windfall Season 2, my wife and I's cat got out of the apartment and we tried for months to bring him home. He was seen. We got him on camera, but we just he kept being chased away by this Hmm. black feral cat named Sebastian. And my idea, you know, in the midst of it was I got to write this into the show. 
We met mm. so many weird people in our neighborhood that fed the feral cat colony that, that was right around the corner from us, where it was like two or three people were feeding the same cat. They all had different names for it. They'd all been feeding him for five, 10 years. They were all convinced this is my cat. And so I sort of thought, I'm just going to do something about like two warring cat feeders, you know, feral cat feeders mm-hmm. are kind of weird. They're kind of zany. But then my wife said, no, you have to tell it from the perspective of the cat. And <laughs> it just something clicked in me. And I wrote that in an evening. That's one of three and a half episodes that have confessions in them out of our 13. The rest of it is all out of that box in, in season three. Yeah. So that's what I will but, say. And the, and the one thing on that back to like, I guess the, the lesson in this for us is like when we start of the show, I remember with the first season drafting those episodes, one of the things I remember worrying about with the end of the show, uh, end of the first season was it gets a little plotty, like mm-hmm. things start to happen, which is kind of weird for the show because the show is kind of about stuff that happened in people's confessions. Yeah. And I remember like saying to Bob, I'm worried that I'm like, it's getting too plotty. It's getting away from like what the show is, which is like these vignettes of people's experience that are like based on real stuff in our lives and like really earnest experience with religion, which I think is like what makes the show move. But we've had to really figure out and like this season that we made is so plotty. (laughs) Like it's just it is like really much more than the other ones um, in terms of it has an arc to it. And we had to figure out how to inject that honesty and these experiences into that plot and not lose that. And I don't know that that balance has been really it's been a fun challenge. I'm fascinated by the fact that this push and pull that you're describing with the box of the format. I think that having grown up in a very Catholic country, that in many ways mirrors a lot of, as I grow older, people's relationship with the Catholic Church and with religion itself, where it goes from, it's so comforting that it is systematized and that it's all figured out and that there's kind Mm -hmm. of like, you know, these like very prescribed dance steps that we just do. It goes from that to then like, oh, but I don't like that all the math is already figured out in a way that then I can't engage Mm -hmm. with it and I can't make it bigger and I can't make it more than what it was. So with all of that said, nowadays, what are you guys' feelings on the ritual of like priestly confession itself? Has the show made your stance on that or your feelings towards that evolve at all? Or like, is that sort of something that has not gotten more complicated and was already pre-complicated? from your own relationship with it before you came to the show. Definitely pre-complicated. <laughs> I, went to, yeah. I went to Catholic school my entire childhood. I went to confession. I mean, Code Blue is based on, there's like a direct quote from a priest to me that mm-hmm. I wrote into the show. Like the, there's a line Ben says that is about the thing that happens in Code Blue that I confess to mm-hmm. um, overshare. Uh, that is, uh, yeah, it, it's from a confession with a priest, which is like, as far as it can go, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I don't, I, I would say you hit the nail on the head with like this idea of a box and the claustrophobia that's like an institution can put on you in terms of who you are as a whole person. And then also, I mean, yeah, I just think this, I like, you're not going to be able to fit into that. It's And sorry, I will talk for a second, but my my dad is very Catholic. And um, but like 
chill about it. Um, and <laughs> he um, he always talks about this idea that like there is like faith and then there's religion is like his big thing. My dad speaks exclusively in maxims like he doesn't talk in anything but catchphrases. But he he talks about that a lot. He's really passionate about this idea that like the structure of religion isn't who you are as a like a religious person. And like those two things have to operate independently because there's no way your belief system personally is going to align to whatever institution you're part of. It's just not possible. And that, so yeah. that institution can only exist to serve you as like a community to talk to and be a part of to like project your faith, which is interesting. And I don't. I love you, Dad. I don't totally agree, <laughs> but but it is. But I think when I think about the show and I think about like what I want to reflect on, I think a lot of that sort of relationship between those two things is. I mean, I think that's what Ben's dealing with a lot, and I think that's gonna kind of be a lot of what we continue to talk about as we make the show. I think awesome. Jack hit the nail on the head. I I lapsed a lot. I won't say necessarily earlier than Jack, but I stopped participating in any of <laughs> the uh, sacraments or routine fairly young. And so I w was always very pre-complicated. And I think so much for me, the thing that has been attractive about that box was the kinds of stories that it would allow us to tell and, and the memories specifically that it would allow us to mine. Uh, mine, not mime. Mm -hmm. I'm not a mime. Hard to mime and podcast. I am inside a box right now. Everyone on this <laughs> Zoom can see it. You all can't. Uh, no, but <laughs> what, what I do love is the fact that all of these specific experiences and, and memories and stories that we're making up for all of these characters are uh, so individualistic. The heart of what so many of them are trying to get at is so universal and the same, regardless of how mm -hmm. much they, you know, may have problems with each other or hate each other or whatever. I just love it as like a storytelling format. And so yeah, like, yeah. I'm so divorced from the, the routine and the sacrament of it that for me, it's like, this is just good story fodder. Yeah. I mean, it's such like a confession is such like a, a weird confrontational and yet collaborative where, you know, you can kind of not see the person. So you're intuiting like feelings from across a grate or whatever that it just like there's this wonderful dramatic push pull to that format that like you can feel in a podcast. Like the, one of the things I love about For Forgive Me is I can kind of like see just how by the way he's speaking, I can kind of know what Ben's face is doing, if that makes sense. <laughs> That's all. I, I got to shout out Casey Callahan because that is him, too. He he yeah. does such a good job of emoting in these little moments that a small show needs. So, yeah. It, yeah. And, and so often, you know, he's he's saying, you know, four or five word questions, right? That's that's it. So much of what he's doing throughout a lot of the episode until we get to sort of act three and he's, you know, there for the lesson is is just reacting to the stories that these people are saying, but he's given such little, you know, tidbits to do that in. And Casey, again, just absolutely knocks it out of the park. Like yeah. we are very lucky with who we were able to cast in the show. Absolutely. So in this third season, you are sort of expanding out from the ritual of the confession booth and, and sort of telling the story of this larger community. 
you say you have tripled the cast. How did you get to that number? Like, when did it feel like, okay, we have a fulsome community that we can like explore in these 13 new episodes? Yeah. You know, I think it really came to us from we have this plot thing that is going to happen that sort of rips our community open. I mean, I guess I can say the season starts at a festival and just the entire church is there. And it's like this moment where it's kind of like, where have we been and where are we going? Where have mm -hmm. we been, Father Ben? And it it's a very fun move very high motion moment for our show that really led us to growing our cast. And that's where Zach comes in. And that's, you know, why we need to raise funds to be able to, like, navigate this gigantic animal. We also introduce and expand a couple of institutions that that, again, have been maybe hinted at in the past in the show again i'm trying to avoid getting too detail heavy but uh, again so much of what we do all the time is is take those little things that maybe someone has said about their cousin or their rival or their coworker, and then we say okay who's that person and what is their role in this town regardless of whether or not it has anything to do with the community of saint patrick's because you know you think of something like a church festival i i think you know for years after i stopped going to church i i kept going to the church fair because it was like mm -hmm. one of the you know they had a little ferris wheel and some bumper cars and and that was like the one thing to do every what summer in, do our, exactly yeah. in our like <laughs> tiny town other than go to the 24-hour walmart like so it allowed us to just explore a lot of different personalities regardless of their relationship to father ben and the church itself well, if people who are listening to this would like to explore Father Ben, the church itself, and forgive me as a show, where should they go? Where is this crowdfunding happening? How do we find you on the internet? You can find us at Forgive Me Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Not that anyone uses Facebook anymore, but it's still there and we're doing it. Yeah, um, Twitter and Twitter is <laughs> going that way. Oh, yeah. Oh. It's uh, not going to be long before it's time for us to learn Tumblr, which is going to be interesting. That'll happen eventually. Uh, we're on Indiegogo. You can search Forgive Me Season 3. You also can go to roguedialogue.com slash support. That'll take you right to the Indiegogo page. And that'll be really, really appreciated. Whether or not you can pitch in a few bucks or, or just share it with some friends that you think might be interested, it would be wildly appreciated because we are really excited about the stories that we're trying to tell this year. Hell yeah, that's awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. It's been awesome to have you here. Awesome. Thank you so yeah, much for having us. It's been a pleasure. You know, doing this show was one of the last things that I did before lockdown. Before the world fell yeah, down. That's right. Before the world <laughs> fell down. That was like two weeks before that happened. I, I haven't forgotten that. I, I remember going to, was that your basement, Zach? Yeah, it was my basement. Yeah, that's in, what in I Brooklyn, thought. Yeah. And, and hanging out with you guys. Like, I was, I can't believe how long it's been. It's insane that it's been four years since that. And I think that that may have been the last no bad ideas that was recorded it was either the there was maybe one more but like it was it was inching up to wow. when everything shut down in march and before that every episode of no bad ideas had been recorded there and after that yeah. we became a mobile unit yeah of course as as, <laughs> mm -hmm. as we all had to you know yeah yeah but but it's been great to have you back and it's been great to have you here jack and we can't wait to listen to the third season of forgive me
This has been No Bad Ideas, produced by Gabrielle Urbina, Sarah Shackett, and Zach Valenti. Many thanks to our patrons for their partnership in making this show possible. And a special shout out to our Idealist members, Jeffrey Felsher, Gemma, Rena, Robert Johnson, and Leap Flame. Today's episode features music by State Shirt and Jazar from freemusicarchive.org. You can support the show at nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. And if you really love this show, let us know by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen and consider sharing it with someone you love.